Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise McSharry. If it's your first time, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. If you're back, thanks for coming back. Really appreciate it. Um, I hope you're feeling good this week. It's been a bit of a wild one, I think, for lots of people. Um, real ups and downs for me. Um, my Irish Country Magazine that I talked about last week. I feel like I actually feel more so even talking about it. I feel like I can't. I'm. I haven't stopped banging on about it. Um. But it came out and um, it, it's been really funny to see it on the shelves and to, I'm you know, the photos are amazing. That's all down to the amazing team that I worked with on the day. But um, it's been very exciting to kind of have it out there in the world and very funny to see like my kids respond to it. I came home last night and Sam was like, mom, I saw your book in the tiny little shop. Tiny little shop is what we call our local shop. And uh, he meant the magazine. He was like, I was like, whoa, Gordon said they were mind blown, which of course is leading to all kinds of interesting conversations. We've been having them for a while now about what famous means and, you know, who's famous and who's not famous and why it's not important and, you know, different areas of success and stuff, which is obviously quite uh, complicated subjects to get into with a six-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old, but um, it's been it's been gas. But then on the other side, I've been struggling, I think as a lot of people are, with the news, basically, and everything that's going on in the world. It's been very tricky um, between, I think, you know, the World Cup in Qatar to what happened in Colorado Springs and protests in East Wall continued just a disaster zone in terms of housing for people and um, with the new daft rental report out um yeah you know I've been feeling quite frustrated and maybe even despondent but myself and Aoife will get into some of those stories in just a few minutes um, I wanted to tell you I've got a new addition to the podcast I have got a special phone I'm holding it here in my hand specifically for the podcast now because I want to invite you to send me a voice note from the very beginning of the podcast I've really wanted to figure out kind of the best way to get you guys involved in it and on a regular basis and I really enjoy hearing from other listeners in other podcasts I I talk about who weekly all the time which is a podcast that I love to listen to and they regularly have uh, voice notes from listeners and they do it on mother pod as well and I just think it's a really nice way for you to share you know things that you hear on the podcast that you disagree with or agree with or um you know things that you think we should be talking about or just just things that you'd like to share in general feedback on a guest you know whatever it is anything anything you think is relevant send me a voice note the number is 089 oh yeah that's that's 
It's a sexy phone number, guys. 089-209-6423. That's 089-209-6423. And um, obviously, I'll put the number in the show notes. Um, And please do get involved. I think it's going to be really fun. I do plan on using them in future podcasts. Um, You don't have to identify yourself, obviously, if you don't want to. You can if you you want to, but you don't have to. Um, And I'd love to kind of build that sense of community that we have um, because I get to meet you guys all the time because you come and introduce yourselves to me. But I'd love you to kind of hear from each other as well. Anywho, let's get going. As I said, there's lots to hear about with the news via Aoife. Aoife Grace Moore uh, beaming into us this week uh, from Belfast. You are, of course, the political correspondent for the Sunday Times Ireland. And you are also writing a book, which you're, is why you're in. Where are you? I'm, I'm, I'm sitting on the ground in the micro fishing room of London Hall Library in Belfast. <laughs> I mean, the glamour of podcasting this woman i swear you cannot keep her from this podcast she is so committed there's nothing i admire more <laughs> okay well i don't even need to use micro fishing i just needed a quiet room to come in and not annoy other people in the library so i made up a date and tried to get newspapers well <laughs> you've done very well and i appreciate your resourcefulness um we've got lots to talk about this week unfortunately not a lot of good news um but uh, i suppose we'll start with the scally report last week of course we talked about the death of vicky feeling and um, it brought back to light and brought to the front of all of our minds of course and the issues that happened with the cervical check program. Yeah so Scali did his fourth report um, this week and just at the start of this I want to clarify so last week when we were talking about this I listened back to it and I gave the worst explanation of (laughs) what happened and got really muddled. So the way the cervical check audit worked is when women like Vicky Phelan, like Emma Vicvahuna, who had their smears taken, there was then an audit done of cervical check, the screening service, and these women's slides were included, people like um, Vicky. So when their smears were included in the audit, it was found that they the reading had been inaccurate. Mm. These women already had been diagnosed with cancer. Right. So in 2016, letters came out to clinicians doctors and said here are the audit results and the doctors were told to use their judgment right and whether to tell the patient that their slide had been misread right the only reason we know about this these misreadings of slides is because vicky Phelan was waiting to see her doctor and her medical file was sitting in front of her yes and she decided to flick through it mm. and she saw that she had been included in the audit and there was a page missing in her file. It said page two of two mm. and the page wasn't there. Mm. And later on, she found that her cervical ch- cancer, if it had been detected when she was tested in 2011, mm. she would have had a 90% chance of being cured. Yeah. So the woman already had cancer and they knew they had cancer. But what they did not know was that their slides had been misread and it was up to the doctor whether they tell them that or not. Right. So what the new law that Vicky was fighting for is that doctors would have to tell you. Yes, yes, okay. So I just want to make that clear. Yeah, and I mean, look, I mean, we were emotional last week, so it's good to clarify these things. And also I think, you know, to be clear as well, a cervical smear usually shows up abnormal cells, which might lead to cancer as opposed to like diagnosing cancer itself for the most part, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like, um, also just want to make the point, please go get your 
smear tests. Mm. You know, I got mine actually three days before um, Vicky Feeling died just by chance because mine was expired and I didn't notice. So please check that if you're due one and go and get your smears um, because it's really important. And mm. just to be on this week's news, so Dr. Scally um, did his final report um, and review of cervical check. Mm. And he said, you know, there was a lot of unfinished business on on open disclosure, which we just talked about, you know, doctors yeah. telling people. He said, you know, dragging women through the courts is not something that we should be doing. Mm. We know that the cervical tribunal is not something that's popular with the woman. He said that is something um, that we need to look at. But he did say, and this is good news, he said, I want to make it clear that cervical check is substantially better screening program today than it was in 2018. And he said, in my view, women can have confidence in and should take full advantage of the cervical screening program. It has saved many women's lives. It will continue to do so, but it is not perfect. So he was sent in the review. He made a number of recommendations to um, the HSA and the Department of Health and said, you know, this is why we need to, you know, sort out cervical check. And a lot of these recommendations have been implemented. Um, so now screening is only used, it's only carried out in one lab in America. That was a big criticism, was that the labs in America were very far away. Mm. And the HSA really didn't have enough oversight of them um we've reduced that you know we are opening our own lab we will be looking at irish women's slides in that lab um which is a good thing but mm-hmm. he said you know the the support group the 221 plus which the women are involved in if they had their slides misread he said the doctors have had a kind of not all doctors obviously but some of the doctors have had a really kind of hostile um attitude towards these women mm-hmm. um and one woman said that she felt like she was made to feel like a second class citizen mm. and they're still not involved as much as they should be in decisions and discussions with um, their clinicians. So there is still a way to go for definite. Mm. But Skelly said this is his final report and he has called for open disclosure like Vicky wanted and also treating women with respect when it comes to their own bodies, which is an ongoing issue, not yeah. just in cervical check. <laughs> I was going to say the fact that it still has to be said is pretty grim. Um, okay, let's move on because obviously absolutely devastating events in Colorado Springs this week when uh, a, a person, I believe that they're now um, using they, them pronouns, um, a person opened fire in a nightclub, I believe the only gay nightclub in Colorado Springs. Yeah, so the suspect who's now been taken into custody shot up an LGBTQ nightclub which was having a drag uh, brunch um, on Trans Day of Remembrance. It's also worth pointing out that one of the five victims who were killed um, was a trans man. Mm. I don't want that getting lost anywhere. Um, five people were killed and at least 19 others were injured. The suspect is a 22-year-old. Um, i seen videos of their father this morning who seemed um, more upset um at the notion that his his child could be lgbtq rather than a murderer i will um, say about that video because that video is flying around and i was like he does not look right and i did a bit of I research think he, might be high. he is yeah it's funny i actually if anybody's familiar with the series intervention um i have watched every episode it's an addiction um kind of reality yes. series and yeah. he was actually on an episode of intervention i think in 2009 like he has a long wow. recorded uh, relationship with meth he has a pretty bleak history in terms of his own life and choices mm. and um from what i read this morning he he actually thought that um the suspect was dead for a long time and like you know he's i just think context is important but what he said is apparent yeah, yeah that his first concern was that wa- his 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 son was gay 
yeah that his child was gay um his it's quite hard to watch he is he's definitely very high um mm. I don't know, you know, it adds a lot of context to maybe what this person's life was. But anyway, regardless mm. of what time, um, the community is in mourning. And I would also say this is a very red state where this happened. Mm. And the Congress people in this state have been ratcheting up really anti-LGBTQ rhetoric for a really long time. Club Q was seen as very much a safe space mm. for this community. And people absolutely loved it. The big props to the man the veteran, the US veteran who um, stopped the gunman, who ran towards him and took the gun from his hand and began to beat him with the gun. Then a trans woman um, arrived and also started kicking the shit out of this guy. <laughs> Which, I mean, I can't imagine the bravery um, that unreal. these two people that um, did. Um, the suspect is now um, in custody. As you said, they are using they them pro- pronouns and he is like everything about this person is so cowardly. They arrived to the club in like military style flak jackets. He had a rifle, he had a handgun um, to shoot up a club where people were dancing and having a good time. Um, it's just so, so sad. And I would really, really advise many people to look at the rhetoric around gay people, around drag queens being near children. All of this is what mm-hmm. led to the shooting. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about that. Absolutely. Um, and I, there's some really really good writing online about the context in which this all is happening and um, just exactly how there's a really complicated thing happening with the far right and, um, you know, anti-trans sentiment and people being kind of radicalized via these completely inaccurate assertions about gay people in the LGBTQ plus community. It's really complicated, but it is literally resulting in an environment where homophobic violence is happening all of a sudden and and seems to be on the rise not all of a sudden but seems to be on the rise it's really seriously Mm -hmm. troubling and I know it's been a really difficult week um continues to be a difficult week for members of the LGBTQ plus community it is not easy at the moment um okay uh let's move on um this is also terrible um protests in East Wall this week um as refugees were homed in the area yeah, so the old ESB building in Eastwall has been converted and is being used for emergency accommodation for people fleeing war. There has been a number of demonstrations over the last couple of nights with hundreds of people attending. Um, some from the local area, many bust in from different places. Um, there are concerns within the local community. Um, Eastwall is a really tight-knit community and has very much been left behind by successive mm. governments there is no doubt about that and the people of East Wall know that they know mm. that their communities have been left behind very high levels of poverty and everything else while it runs alongside the AFSA you know from mm. like it's very clear to them why they've been treated by successive governments absolutely no doubt what is happening is that far-right agitators um from the Irish Freedom Party and and other groups are now exploiting this community and using it for their own racist um, ends. Um, They are demonizing the asylum seekers, saying that they're fake asylum seekers, um, that it's single men, and obviously they apparently believe that single men (laughs) can flee war. Um, The Minister for 
integration, Roger Gorman said that he is going to meet with the community. He said that he has no interest in meeting with far right groups who have engaged in the protests in recent days. Mm. And he said that these people are exploiting residents' concerns for their own ends. Mm. And the government said that they acknowledge that it's an unprecedented situation and Michal Martin said that the, the local community need to be consulted. I would worry about that kind of rhetoric. I think if I moved in um, to East Wall, I would, the community wouldn't be consulted. Um, so mm-hmm. I think everyone would do well to moderate their language. I think it's fair enough that um, a community that has a lack of services um, can be worried about an influx of any large number of people. Mm. But I am seriously concerned about far-right groups using these people's vulnerability and tight-knit community and their own concerns about their community to exploit this situation, which very much appears to be happening. Yeah. And of course, there are lots of East Wall residents who've been speaking out over the course of the last week or so and saying that, you know, these people and this rhetoric doesn't represent them. Um, and I think it must exactly. be very tricky to be in that position as well. Um Okay, let's move on. Uh, the Daft report on rent came out this week. Of course, it's always always an interesting one. And um, it will come as no surprise to anyone that the rental situation only continues to get worse. It's honestly, how many times are we going to have to have this conversation? I know, um, I know. Like I genuinely, when I read this this week, I just like, <sighs> I just saw it with my head in my hands because like, how long can this go on? Like, how long can we continue to, to have a society where we are literally ruining people's lives via the lack of housing and, and nothing seems to be changing? The average rent sought for a home nationally was a record 14.1% higher during the period between July and September than it was during the same three months last year. So the average across the country for the listed monthly rent is now 1,688 euros per month. Um, this is the largest quarterly increase on record going back to 2006. And that's across the country. So that's not like in Dublin yeah. where things are expensive. Like across the country, the average rent for a residential property, 1,688 euro. According to the DAF report, and I know there has been some conflicting stories about how DAF actually counts um, different apartments and different properties. So um, take this with... Um, it's 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 from the DAF report, but I'm not 100% that this is exactly the right number. Um, across the country, DAF said there were just 1,087 homes available to rent on their platform on the 1st of November. They said that that's a reduction. If we just take their numbers, mm. that's a reduction of around a quarter on the same date a year ago and a quarter of the average level of availability between 2015 and 2019. Um so the largest annual increase was in Waterford City, where they rose 17% from last year. Um, then Limerick City, Galway City, and then Dublin is 14.3, where the average asking monthly rent is 2,258. That is astronomical rent. It's insane. Like, I, it's... I don't know anyone who has 2,258 euro per month to rent. No, and like, you know... The impact that this has on people's lives, like obviously we know there's a homelessness, um, which is very serious. And we know that there are children who are growing up in dangerous and uncomfortable and, you know, damaging situations as a result of this. We also know that there's other social impacts, like, you know, people being forced to live with their parents. That means parents not having their kind of the, the lifestyle that they should have in their older age. We've got students who can't afford to be part of college, who can't afford to go to college because they can't afford mm-hmm. the rent. We've got students who managed to get to college, but are doing four and five hour round trip commutes and therefore can't take part in college 
college life, which impacts their networking and later prospects, as well as their social development. You've got a couples who are living together long beyond the relationship ending because they don't know what to do and therefore children also, stuck in that also situation. Not having kids. Like I know people my age who are not having kids. It's like because they I love ju- with their parents. I just like where like what I'm so angry. Like I I just I don't know how the people who are in charge of this country can get up every morning and think that things are okay. Like, I really don't. And I know that lots of them are landlords. And like, I know we can explain it away that way. But honestly, like, if you have any interest in the well-being of the citizens of this country, surely you wake up and you read that and you go, something has to change seismically. There needs to be a serious and seismic change. Yeah, and I think, like, you hear the testimonies that get sent into constituency offices, like Mary McDonald reads it out every week, Richard Ward Barrett reads it out every week, and the government TDs are getting those as well. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Um, but I just, I don't know if it's, like, a cognitive dissonance you compartmentalize and say, well, we are trying our best, but if your best isn't good enough, something has to give. I am at a loss. Like, housing is one of those things that I'm just, like, I don't even get happy when I see, like, big companies announcing new jobs in Ireland because all I think is where are we going to live. Mm. I know. I know. Um, and the thing is, there are things that can be done because I think sometimes people are like, oh, well, maybe there's nothing that can be done. But there are like, I know that there are because, you know, I used to interview Lorcan Sir, who's like an expert in housing and stuff on my show when I was on 2FM. And mm-hmm. he had great, you know, great suggestions. And there's other countries who are really doing it well. Like there, there is another way. And yet here it we are. It doesn't have to be this way. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. it doesn't have to be this way. And I know that there are economists and stuff who'll say, oh, sure, every country in Europe is having a, a housing crisis. And I hear them on the radio and I want to punch my radio in because it's not the same not in the same way that we are and you know we we I just you know I just don't know how much longer we can keep going honestly it feels like the country is just a breaking point um and so many individuals have already gone beyond breaking point which is a really heartbreaking thing about it okay Mm -hmm. before we go um just to finish up on the world cup in Qatar we've talked a lot about obviously lots of the issues going into it the um absolutely horrendous human rights record of Qatar, their homophobia, their kind of struggle with women's rights and, you know, the thousands of migrant workers who died in building the facilities that are necessary for the Qatar World Cup. But I think it's been very interesting to watch the World Cup happen and to see that it is an absolute mess, even just from a logistical perspective. There is honestly something like, I was actually chatting to my friends about this last night. I like, Obviously, we get upset about the news every so often. I have not been so annoyed about something as I have been about the World Cup for months. Like, the fact that the world is basically letting this happen. And last week, we didn't talk about during the week, there was a lot of conversation about whether the England team and the Wales team would wear a one love armband that had the rainbow flag on it and would be in a protest to how Qatar t- treats um, gay people and women. Mm. It came down to the wire because FIFA said that they were going to yellow card the captain of each team, if that was the case, if they wore it. And the teams did not want to sacrifice their captain being yellow carded at the start of the World Cup, so they never wore it. So... I'm going to swear now, but see all this bullshit mm. about we can go to these countries and we can point out the problems and mm. we can advocate for people when we're there. At the first hurdle, these teams fell down. You get yellow carded for taking your top off when celebrating. You get yellow carded for slide tackling somebody. If you can see the studs, you're getting only sent off. 
all that they're willing to sacrifice for, but not to give the tiniest message that you don't think it's okay the way they treat gay people and women. It's, I, do, I will never look at David Beckham the same way again. I will never look at the Nevilles the same way again. I am so profoundly disappointed. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I am. I should know better. You know, we've seen that sponsors are now dropping off. The fan zone has been a complete mess. Mm. They've banned pints of beer, which was also incredibly telling when people were really pissed off that there was no beer. Mm-hmm. But really, but beer was where they drew the line, but not gay rights mm. and women's rights and mm. migrant workers' health and rights. Um, the Fox, you know, the big broadcasters, NBC, Fox, all those people have sent a skeleton crew of journalists to cover it. Mm. There isn't as many journalists. There isn't as many fans. Qatar have allegedly been paying actors to pretend to be fans. They're paying people to pretend to be fans because there's so little people there compa- compared to other um World Cups, newscasters are dealing with issues of censorship. One camera crew had their equipment threatened by local authorities. Um, uh, an American journalist was turned away from a game because of their rainbow shirt on. It is a shambles and I could, it couldn't have happened to a better tournament, honestly. I'm glad it's terrible because it's karma. <laughs> Well, I think that's beautifully put, Aoife, and I have nothing to add. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much, Aoife Moore, political correspondent for the Sunday Times Ireland. Feli Speaks is a Nigerian-Irish poet, performer and playwright from County Longford. You may recognise them from their appearance with their friend Tolumeke on The Tommy Tiernan Show, which was widely and happily received, or perhaps their smiling face in the Leia insurance ads, or maybe you saw them in their award-winning role in Wake in this year's Dublin Fringe. I am such a fan of theirs and was delighted to chat to them this week about their next step, a poetry single out today. Belly Speaks, it is such a joy to be, be welcoming you to my podcast. And um, We have spoken before on a previous podcast that I did for about five minutes and on my radio show and stuff, and I'm just such a huge fan of your work. Um, for Thanks. people who aren't already familiar with it, and they're going to get familiar from today, um, maybe tell them a little bit about yourself. Um, so my name is Felicia. I go by Feli Speaks, and I'm a po- poet, performer, and playwright. And a lot of my work is centered around all three or either a subsect of one of the three um so that would be the basis of what i do yeah Yeah. and so when i first got to know you i had seen you perform at body and soul as part of a poetry performance and i just thought you were amazing Um, and then i got on the internet and started googling you and i came across some more of your work and i was so impressed i just felt like i had to have a conversation with you Um, and i remember the poem at that time that really really like hit me hard was your poem for our mothers which is just I mean, maybe tell people what it's about. Ooh, um, that's good. <laughs> for Our Mothers, I wrote For Our Mothers in a cubicle at my first adult job working in the bank, crying my eyes out, trying to avoid my manager. <laughs> and I wrote it about, it was during the time Trump got elected, mm. right? And I remember it was the January of that year and mm. there was a women's march going on uh, mm-hmm. in America. And I remember being just so overwhelmed by, like, one, the strength of all the women that came out. Mm. I thought it was incredible that um, there was a subsect of people that decided, like, we deserve better as a people and Mm. we have some 
day about it and I thought that was so powerful mm. but also made me really sad because it reminded me of all the women that could couldn't possibly take time off work to to join a protest like this all the underprivileged women and then the it furthers my train of thought thinking about um women in Ireland thinking about what we're go- we were going through at that time mm. um I think it was just maybe we're, we had started the conversation about uh, our reproductive health mm. and I was also thinking really heavily about my mom mm-hmm. and her kind of detachment from that conversation specifically mm. and about her lack of choices and her purposeful choices and what that has done to our relationship and her life. Mm. So I was thinking heavily about culture as well yeah. and thinking about like what the Nigerian mother um, culturally is subscribing to in marriage mm. and not every marriage, but in a lot of the marriages that I'd seen. And then also thinking about how familiar that looks like to the Irish mother, mm. um, especially under the guise of Christianity and the yeah. church and, I- and, the Ireland- and Ireland's relationship with the church. So that was really, really heavy on my mind. And I wrote for our mothers under that, umbrella of thought process I can't so, believe yeah. you wrote it in the in a toilet cubicle like did it is it like I find with my writing and I'm obviously not the kind of artist that you are but like sometimes it just kind of pours out of you was it one of those oh yeah I was like <laughs> she's she's miming writing <laughs> yeah, my was going 50 miles an hour and I just I just had to get it down mm. I went on to edit it a few times but the first chunk of work I needed to just get it out of me. Yeah. Um, I think what one of the things that I was already thinking about it, but I got, um, as they say, triggered mm. by the radio because in in our office there's, there's all this radio on, and mm. I think they were about they were talking about um, the march. They were talking about different things, and I was like, oh my god, this sucks. It's like yeah. why are we this. Um, but yeah, it definitely did pour out of me. I felt I didn't realize how important. I think one of the biggest things for me was I did not realize that it was supposed to be important work. Mm. I think I was quite surprised about people's reaction to it. Yeah. Um, and the labeling of it as something important enough to be repeated <laughs> oh yeah I mean I I find it really impactful and it's available you can watch it online and um, it's still available right I've watched it loads of times but yeah. not in the last couple of months and um, you can watch it online if you search um for Feli Speaks and for our mothers um and and you will I think you'll find it very impactful as well and um, because it's about you're right culture and the kind of restrictions of culture and the sacrifices that many, many women make within those cultures or whatever you know and, and it could apply to lots of different cultures um, mm. and it and yeah I think it's really powerful and, and I mean it, it is obviously because it was even selected to be part of the Leaving Cert um, poetry course in the last number of yeah. years I mean that must have been so exciting oh god it's so weird um, <laughs> it's in year 2023 and 2025 mm. and I that is strange because I'm googleable <laughs> <laughs> yeah like Students can actually look me up and I hope they don't ask me questions. Um, well, it's, you know, I was thinking about when I did poetry in for the Leaving Cert, like, you know, Ireland 
the, so I did my leaving cert 22 years ago. Oh my God, that hurts. Um, and Ireland was a very different place. Like we were kind of multiculturalism was like only really beginning. And we definitely didn't have any, any, you know, poets on our syllabus that didn't have an Irish sounding name, you know, like it was very kind of, you know, we it was it was great. I, I actually loved the poetry that I studied, but I think it must be very meaningful for students of, you know, kind of African descent, Nigerian descent specifically to see someone mm-hmm. like you on the syllabus. And it, that must yeah. mean something to you. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't imagine like if I was, I, cause I loved English mm. in secondary school. Me too. And in school, it was, it was my bag. I was that mm. nerd that was learned about Shakespeare and sonnets and and our teacher, I remember my um, teacher was Mr. Healy in mm. English in secondary school. Like when we first learned about sonnets, he'd make us like replicate different writing styles. Mm. And I, w- I would write three versions just in case he had a favorite. I was so nerdy. So I can imagine like other similar nerdy kids <laughs> mm. that amazing, that thought like writing or poetry was special mm. and had my name on the syllabus to look up to in a way do you know what I mean yeah. especially because poetry is not necessarily something that you're thought you could do like concretely as a career mm-hmm. um so having that extra layer of like this is a Nigerian person in the syllabus and on top of that they have a career out of it and yeah. they're alive <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're they're not just alive, but alive and young and cool. Like you have done so much cool stuff recently. And I suppose the reason that this that this moment is the moment for us to have this conversation is that you have something new coming out this week, which is so exciting. And it, it kind of follows on from For Our Mothers, doesn't it? Yeah. It so tell um, us about it. So this piece coming out is different for many reasons. Um, it's titled Tough Meat. Um, it's coming out with a video and with a bang. And one of the biggest things that's special about it is that it's poetry with music. Mm. Um, And one of the things I've been doing all year, aside from all the other crazy things I've been doing, (laughs) is I've been really tinkering with what my sound is. Um, I've been tinkering with what uh, music sounds like coming from me with my poems. And I really... I appreciate what music does to elevate poetry. Mm. I appreciate um, all the artists that use kind of more soundscape, soft beats, but I really wanted to do something different because the poem arrived with that beat. Mm. The poem arrived with something jarring, something kind of wild. It it came out with something quite animalistic in some senses. Mm. And you mentioned it's a follow-up from For Our Mothers, for our mothers it has a lot of sympathy has a lot of gentleness mm. maybe soft anger mm. whereas this is is full of a person that knows themselves and has decided what their place is in in the cultural system yeah. has decided that even this even though this is what our mothers is taking i've decided that i'm tough meat i'm inconceivable or unconceivable I'm something that can't be swallowed Mm. so I've become something different and it's it's full of rebellion it's full of um just like taking up space Mm. um what tough me is about and I, I really wanted to offer this piece because after writing something like for our mothers 
it's really hard to kind of then you can understand a thing but then not be able to place yourself in it you can fully be aware of a thing but still not understand what your role is in it mm. and i've decided that tough me is a representation of my role in the cultural system and what i decide to be and accept mm. within that system i'm interested to know um because i think this is you know what you're talking about i have read so many people who are kind of first generation of of immigrant families um from from various cultures but talk about kind of the expectation of what they'll be and how they'll live and what they'll do versus maybe what what their passion is or what they feel like you know they really want to do how how are your family with your career choice I mean you are obviously killing it so they must be super (laughs) proud of you but was that kind of you know an area of conflict at any stage um I think for my family it was more like if you're gonna do this you better not ask us for money (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay like, if you're gonna do this you better have a plan yeah. and it better work yeah. um but i think their main thing has always been always have like some sort of education some sort of like skill level to fall back on mm. if this doesn't mm. um but for them right now they're like they are like obsessed with me like <laughs> <laughs> i love it good I'm currently winning as the favorite child like <laughs> My siblings are screwed. Like, <laughs> like so much to live up to. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not even saying this in a cocky way. It's just there's so much evidence of what I'm doing. Like, yeah. if it was like, oh, like, I was killing it and nobody really heard about it in a flashy kind of way. And, like, I'm, you know, making the money for my rent and all of that. You know, they could get away with it. But, like, I'm on billboards in Longford, the poor sods. Like, <laughs> I went home recently um, to uh, to a party. Like, so there was a lot of people in the community that I grew up in at the party. It was um, one of my auntie's 50th birthdays. And so I'd seen so many people I hadn't seen in like four or five years. And all the aunties were literally, I was one of, I was the kid that they were pulling her cheeks like, oh, you're so grown up. <laughs> you want things, you're on TV. And I'm like, oh, this is so cringy. But I took a minute and I was like, oh, my brothers are screwed. The poor thoughts. Like, <laughs> Yeah, they'll have to like I don't know, like cure cancer or something. (laughs) Good luck, (laughs) I love it, but it's so great, and it is really inspiring to see someone making a successful career out of you know something creative, and that you're you know you're so good at and you're so passionate about. Um, we mentioned there that like you mentioned that you've done a lot of crazy things in the last few years so like people might know you like you're in the Leia ads you're on billboards for the for Leia you were in Dublin Fringe as part of Wake that this is pop baby show that I think everybody absolutely raved about I loved it personally and you were kind of running that show kind of as in terms of narration and stuff and then you won best performer as part of that like you know do you worry that they like it's gonna stop at any stage or are you just like absolutely basking in it at the moment oh that's interesting um I think generally for me I don't think about um how do I say the achievements necessarily I don't think about like the the milestones I think I'm so I'm quite a loud person and I get I'm quite extroverted but like 
I'm I live in my head. Yeah. Sometimes, like if you see me out, I just I space out, like and you're like, what's happening to Felicia? Like she's. <laughs> um, but like I think living in my head means that I'm generally constantly thinking about the next thing that I want to do. Yeah. Um, and I'm so stirred and so led by my inner world that I don't actually have time to think about it stopping because I think one of the biggest things I learned about myself and my career is. I'm, I don't like to sit and wait for it to be steered by the art world or mm. the culture that we live in because then you have the likelihood of it stopping because then people are either get bored about what you're doing because yeah. other people are leaving your career or they actually just don't see your personality or your person in what you're creating. Mm. So I like whether jobs are coming or not, I'm like... I want to do this. I want to do that. Yeah. I want to do this. So I think because I'm constantly creating and I think that's the function of an artist mm. to create, to inspire, to push the envelope and whatever your inner world is, when you put it out, out into the world, somebody else or the, the art world will pick it up and be like, Ooh, let's, let's maximize that. Yeah. So I don't, because my inner world is so full, mm. I don't ever worry about there being a point where it stops. I truly believe this is what I'm made to do. Yeah, I love that. It took me like 20 years to realize that <laughs> that you could be in charge of your own life and that you didn't have to wait. And um, it's a really powerful thing. And I, I love to hear you say that because I think you're absolutely right. I think one thing that's always really impressed me about you is um, you have like a really high level of general standards, I think, in with your work and just the way that you interact with the world, which I think is amazing. Like, you know, even in terms of, you know, if you are going to an event, you're going to that event and you're going to look like mind-blowingly good <laughs> and I'll have like you know pulled a wrinkled dress out of my wardrobe like 10 minutes before I left the house and I'll see you and you'll be flawless like I just feel like and that's that's just I know that's kind of a small example but it's just an example of, of the, the standard that mm -hmm. you hold yourself to where do you think that comes from and if you're someone who maybe doesn't feel like they're coming they're holding themselves to a very high standard me I'm talking about me and um, how do you <laughs> how do you how do you kind of get yourself to do that mm. oh that's really interesting I've never thought about it like that. Um, I think one, one of the biggest things that I've learned growing up in Ireland is that being a Nigerian Irish person, being somebody that comes from a Nigerian heritage, like confidence is nearly bullied into you. <laughs> okay. <Does that> <laughs> okay. It's a really strange thing. But like, I think one of the biggest things that I learned was that if you're going to, if you're going to show up in the world, you have to show up not just how you want to be addressed. Um, so it's like, I suppose, a version of faking it till you make it. Right. But also that if you don't, you are reducing how other people get to address you, mm -hmm. right? I think not just showing up as your best self, but your ideal self. Right. And other people matching that on your behalf. Mm -hmm. So you never get to drop those standards. Mm -hmm. Um I think is one of the biggest things. But secondly, I think one of the big things that's helped me over the years is getting to know myself mm -hmm. and like heavily, like allowing other people to see that. Like I've learned so much about like how my body works, how my mind works, um, 
how I want to exist to myself, like never mind anybody else. Mm. And then forcing myself to take that outside has been a big thing for me. And I think in order to stay doing that, um, I had to continuously find ways of believing in myself. I'm like, you are this person. Like growing my knowledge of self has been like, you are this person. You are like, I think internally I have like a God living inside of me. Mm-hmm. Like that even sounds like, whoa, like, you know, slow your road. <laughs> but one of the ways that I've learned to accept what that actually means without it being like, you know, being a cocky shit <laughs> is that first of all, my role as an artist that ha- that I think has a God living inside of them is that I'm called to serve with my work. Mm. And when your art is called to be of service to other people, you really can't be a cocky shit. Does that make mm. sense? Yeah. But you but you but there's a deep desire to honor the God that lives within. Mm. Yeah. That- that's and this is why you are you <laughs> because what a what an amazing way of explaining that and um, well I am like so excited I've seen the trailer for Fresh Meat it is gorgeous and I think it it is an example like a perfect example of you just having an unbelievably high standard for yourself like everything you produce is is way beyond I think what anyone would expect you know in Ireland I think we we have sometimes relatively low expectations for ourselves but like this mm-hmm. looks unbelievable and I'm so excited for everybody to see it I can't wait to see it where can people find it on Friday so Tough Meat will be out on Spotify and on YouTube and will be premiering I just got worried about this on Hot Press exciting (laughs) well thank you so much Feli Speaks it's always a pleasure to speak to you and best of luck with it thank you so much it's that time of the year Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Let's 
This week in the world of entertainment, there was controversy after controversy from Joe Lysett, the conclusion, to Taylor Swift versus Ticketmaster and Eurovision voting going worldwide. What? James O'Hagan joined me to get to the bottom of all of these stories. James O'Hagan, LGBT activist and podcaster. Welcome. Your first solo adventure on the podcast. I know. I've just finished watching The the Crown, so I feel like, you know, Charles and Diana, this is my Martin Bashir moment. Ready to get into it. <laughs> Ask me whatever you want to know. I'll, I'll, I'll think that this is the pod chip. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not feeling particularly like, you know, ending relationships today. So it's just not really the vibe I'm in. So maybe we'll save that for another week. Um, we're going to talk showbiz. And we were just saying that entertainment stories recently have been a little bleak. Um, mm-hmm. And unfortunately, there is some bleakness in in what we have to talk about today. But there's also good stuff. But we will start with Joe Lysett, um, who obviously we've talked on the podcast before about Joe Lysett's, um, I suppose, you know, laying down the gauntlet for David Beckham in terms of the World Cup in yeah. Qatar. No, absolutely. I mean, like, I think what he is doing is, and, and as we see this come to a conclusion, what he's really doing is, is shining a light on the hypocrisy of, of, of sports people pinkwashing their their image in order to, to sell to a queer audience here in the West where being a member of the queer community is, you know, by and large, not accepting the times where it's not pretty acceptable and we're a fairly lucrative market to, like, have access to. David Beckham has been courting us for decades at this stage and Joe Lysett, I suppose, set up this gag. It was revealed he never at any point expected to hear from David David Beckham. So uh, was it a week or two ago, he said he was going to shred £10,000 sterling if David Beckham didn't renege on his deal to be supportive of uh, Qatar and to promote Qatar around the world during this, this World Cup period. David Beckham, despite follow-up emails from, from Joe Lysett, never replied. But it turns out Joe Lysett was never expecting a reply in the first place. 10,000 euro was never shredded and it was donated to the Stonewall Rainbow Laces LGBT sports organisation yeah. to go on to kind of do good work there. But I think what it really highlights is this hypocrisy of the state we're living in in the moment where people can present a particular image to a corner of the world or feel free to present a particular image to a particular corner of the world, speak about their sort of inclusivity, the importance of equality to them, but then go elsewhere to make a huge amount of money off it. Like it's, you know, to a lesser extent, we have Ella Henderson performing at the Conservative Party Conference. To Mm. a similar extent, you have Blue performing in the Fan Village in, Mm. in, in Qatar this week. So it is that sense of like, okay, not that we're going to be taking names, but mm. that like, you know, when it comes to pride bookings next year or when yeah. it comes to kind of who we're going to support as a community, we need to start getting selective as to yeah. who are the people that are caring about our rights all year round, yeah. regardless of what it costs them. I think it's like extra difficult with someone like David Beckham. You know, when you think about, okay, Blue versus David Beckham, David Beckham does not need to earn another euro or mil- or yeah. dollar or pound in his life and he'll be wealthy for the rest of his life and his kids will be wealthy for their mm-hmm. entire lives. Like, you can almost go, well, Blue, yeah. at <laughs> least they need the money. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. you know. No, but absolutely. It, I agree with you. You know, in the context, as you say, of future Pride bookings, you know, Blue, I'm sure, have made an awful lot of money off the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah, completely. I mean, Pride gigs up and down the country uh, all year round. But I mean, the, the other thing that ha- I think this has highlighted to me is that there's a lot of pearl clutching going on around kind of the treatment of LGBTQ journalists and fans who are travelling to Qatar for the World Cup. There's mm. been rumours around um, hats or rainbow hats being taken off fans. Journalists have said who've, who've worn LGBT supportive t-shirts have had them removed by security guards. Obviously, there was a controversy around wearing the One Love armband. Yeah. But the reality is 
you know, these people will be there for two weeks. These are a privileged group of people who have mm. the money and have the sort of moral blind spot to allow themselves to travel to this location. Mm. It's the people who are living in the house. I saw, um, I think, John Oliver last week tonight. Pretty much any information I have comes from John John Oliver last <laughs> week tonight. But he was speaking about the World Cup in his most recent episode. He talked. To, he, he was interviewing, or there was a, there was a clip from a a, a gay Qatari saying it, it's essentially like visiting or going to a birthday a children's birthday party at a house where you know the children are being abused and ignoring the abuse to enjoy the party and then leaving the children there to continue being abused turning that blind eye just because the big party is on and that's like honestly that hits me because that feels like exactly what's happening (laughs) and also important to note it's not just lgbtq people no The, the the loss of life among migrant workers has been like astounding how that's not like a national like an international yeah. just like uh, disgrace is beyond me and the treatment of women as well as something I thought we were well past yeah well apparently not and apparently if there's enough money we're willing to ignore it I think that's the reality um yeah sadly I thought it was interesting to see that Mel C who recently was, you know, partying with David Beckham at Jerry mm-hmm. Hallowell's 50th. And she was asked if she would have gone to Qatar or would have performed at Qatar. And she said, absolutely not. She said, personally, I'm an ally to the LGBTQ plus community and it's not something I would feel comfortable doing. Um, I, I wonder, I'd love to think that yes. they might have a conversation, <laughs> you know? No, I, I mean, I guess probably people feel insulated from from this, from the idea of like it's personal choice. Because she said in that, like, you know, some people want to go out there in order to try and, you know, make a difference sell the message That's or whatever BF. it is but like you know at the at the end of the day like she she is a, a real ally to the lgbtq plus community she has toured sort of around the world with sync the pink that london based yeah. sort of drag uh, or uh, drag entity uh, where bimini came from and yeah. all these amazing queens she plays gay bars up and down the country and has like really been solid in her commitment to the community so i think it's it's good i think that like that's as close as we're going to get mm. to the beckham camp of some kind of a recognition of yeah. the fact that this is not really great behavior. yeah yeah okay and uh, moving on taylor swift and the entire world <laughs> versus Chick- <laughs> Ticketmaster. um what a shit show I, I honestly though like for, for i i i mean me and you louise share one thing in common and that is the going to gigs yes. so we frequently engage uh, as i'm sure many people listening to with the the Ticketmaster platform and as painful as it seems to be here by all accounts the system that they have or whatever's happening in the u.s is just another level yeah so can you break it down for us what like what actually happened so so i mean this is one of those stories that goes back to 2008 okay. uh, <laughs> <laughs> buckle up guys 2008 um in, in in live nation who are the i suppose the the, the organisation or the body that sort of organises or owns venues around the US and around the world as well, Live Nation, are an organisation that exists around the world. They merged with Ticketmaster, who are responsible for ticketing to, to, to entry to gigs and, and to sort of, you know, creating contracts with artists. And they, when they formed, took over around 80% of the ticketing market in the US. And they formed exclusivity contracts with particular uh, with particular venues and particular artists, meaning that, essentially meaning it was a monopoly. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, our fave, called it as it was, said the reminder Ticketmaster is a monopoly, break it up. But this means that there is only one show in town. If you want, if you were a big artist and you want to tour without Ticketmaster, 
there's nowhere else to go. I think mm. Pearl Jam tried to do this back in the 1990s where they tried to do a tour minus Ticketmaster and the whole thing fell apart completely because the 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 exclusivity contracts that Ticketmaster hold with venues, yeah. with with, um, with with organizations and festivals and festivals yeah. means you just you can't get anywhere. So Ticketmaster obviously are absolutely in the US under no obligation to try and make themselves in any way friendly to the users. It's Comeg that actually they have built themselves to be more friendly to sort of ticket brokers or scalpers as we would call them so that they have more way of getting tickets so that you instantly see Taylor Swift selling out and then you head over to StubHub or, 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 or sort of other secondary markets and find them for like up to 40 to 50% more expensive. But yeah. The Eras Tour went on sale last week, I think it was. It was mm. to go on sale last last Wednesday was the, the verified pan, fan pre-sale. That went on sale and was a nightmare. P- the website was absolutely unable to deal with the amount of traffic that was coming through it. It was failing. People were finding themselves waiting for two, three hours in a queue. Then the website would crash. They would lose their place uh, and they wouldn't be able to get back in. The following day, there was a, a, a deal with Capital One uh, for Capital One visa holders so that they would get early access. Mm. Exactly the same thing. Again, people waiting up to three or four hours trying all day. And all of this is going on with a background home of TikTok video of absolutely devastated Swifties. Mm. And at the very 11th hour, Ticketmaster come out to say, actually, all the tickets are gone now and we're not going to have a general public sale. And it's important to note as well that when Ticketmaster say that, they ju- they actually mean that only around 7 or 8% of tickets actually go on general public sale. The rest of them go off on sale to like other in other ways, like go through pre-sale codes, go through Capital One arrangements. Sorry, 7 or 8%? Yes. So I, I, again, Don Oliver, just, you know, asterisk, he he did a piece on Ticketmaster in, in the not too recent... Sorry, I just hit my microphone because I'm so shocked. <laughs> but he did, he, they did research into the amount of tickets that actually are released as part of, uh, as part of the, the sort of general public sale. And so you might remember a couple of years ago, Justin Bieber sold out two nights at Madison Square Gardens in like 30 seconds. Yeah. Everyone was going absolutely wild. This has never been done before. It's never happened before. It turns out that actually only 7% of tickets have been put on sale. So it was something like... 2,000, 3,000 tickets actually sold out in that time. The rest of them were held back. Many yeah. of them were, 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 were sold to or went to brokers who then put them on second secondary selling platforms and other ones went through sort of different, sort of like through like arrangements with radio stations or yeah, through yeah, arrangements yeah, yeah, with, yeah. With, with Visa card companies or credit card companies. So it means that like you are scrambling for a very limited number of tickets. And I mean, honestly, it feels suddenly miraculous that I've ever gotten tickets to anything. <laughs> I know. But I do think oh, here it is, like, like, so here it is, it is more transparent here to an extent, but over in, in the US it's completely untransparent right. as to what fees you're paying. Like, I, I saw tickets where I saw examples of tickets where the fees on the ticket, like the ticket itself cost maybe $200 and the fees on top of that were like 500 What? So it's like, you, you were talking about Madness. all these additional fees that are completely insane. But anyway, Taylor came out and said, this is completely ridiculous. I can't believe you've messed this up so badly. We really thought that you were going to to, to protect the, you know how important my fans are. And it feels yeah. like many of them have been through multiple bear attacks. <laughs> and now, by all accounts, Congress are getting involved and Ticketmaster may find their sweet little arrangement with uh, Live Nation broken up. Oh, well, that would be exciting, wouldn't it? Would it would be. That, I mean, if the Swifties can achieve one thing in their life. Look, they are very dedicated. They are. Very dedicated. I, I do have to say, though, if, like, I can understand the 
the I can understand the madness to see Taylor because she is one of the most amazing performers. Well, also she just has so as you say a very special relationship with her fans. She yeah. do, she does make a huge effort to connect with her fans. She does, and so people feel you know they have a very kind of tangible relationship with her. So it's understandable that missing a tour like this would be heartbreaking yeah, for like, them. Absolutely, and this is five um, five five albums in since the yeah. last since the last one, and the number of, of re releases of her older stuff plus yeah. the record breaking all too well yeah. video release. So like this is this is the tour you want They've to be. They've been at. waiting, yeah. And the problem is that people are taking that love and that passion for this artist sort of within Ticketmaster and other organizations and exploiting it in yeah. order to try and make as much money because you shouldn't. Uh, you know, as much as you may love Taylor Swift or any artist in this world, you should never be paying 2,000 or 3,000 euro to see that Absolutely person not, like that. Yeah. There's tickets listed, I think, on StubHub for up to 70,000 euro. Ugh. They're not going to sell for that, absolutely, but they will probably sell for a massively inflated price. And that is just, I mean, a little unacceptable, to be honest. Yeah, 100%. You're taking advantage of people. It's exploitation, as you said. Okay, moving on. Um, Chris Hemsworth uh, is making a change. This is this is wild, this story. Yeah, it is. Now, I might be alone on this, but I found this to be actually, and this is more, to, I think, possibly to do with where I work, an incredibly positive and uplifting story yeah. in some ways. Okay. Uh, so Chris Hemsworth is making a documentary with, the Nas- with National Ge- Geographic called Limitless, uh, where I suppose he, he is looking at the human condition, aging, and sort of, you know, like understanding how you can live as long a life as possible, as long and as sort of healthy a life as, as possible. And so as part of that, he did a number of DNA tests, and, t- and it turned out in the results of those DNA tests that he has two copies of a gene called APOE4, uh, one from each parent, with apparently only 3% of the world's population have, which makes him eight to tens, eight to ten times more susceptible to develop Alzheimer's as he uh, as he ages than the general population. And mm. I suppose he has spoken out about this. I suppose first of all, he said that he plans to take some time out to sort of cope with this because you would need some time just to come to terms with that. And I think he's very lucky to be in a position where he 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 has that space at his his disposal mm. but he want he was very sure in in anywhere he was speaking about that that he didn't want to over dramatize it and he wasn't sort of grabbing out to seek uh, to, to sort of seek sort of like empathy over this mm. sort of like terrible diagnosis because this isn't a this isn't a determinant. This isn't an absolute 100%. Yeah, because of course, there are lots of people who would have that genetic makeup who wouldn't develop Alzheimer's. Exactly. And there are lots of people who don't have any genetic markers for Alzheimer's who exactly. go on to develop it. No, exactly. So, But I think that the positive message that I found behind this mm. is around the idea of planning ahead, thinking ahead, mm. understanding kind of like how you can make that, how you, you thinking about these subjects, like particularly kind of like thinking about end of life and death is something that we don't like to do. It's a conversation mm. topic we like to ignore. Mm. There's often a sense that like speaking about it will bring it closer but the reality is putting plans in place understanding what your future potentially looks like and being able to plan around that means that at that point when you get to the more vulnerable place when perhaps your family are around and it's more or at that if it happens in a, in a, in a sort of a, a crisis point mm-hmm. you're more susceptible to be you know to not have your wishes met to mm-hmm. potentially leave people feeling uncertain as to what it is you actually want yeah. uncertain as to what it is you what you know how you want to be cared for yeah. so i think it, it is this has drawn attention to the fact that this is a topic that we should be not spending too much time talking about. I'm not saying that we yeah we spend talk about it every day, day yeah. every day, but it's about kind of actually putting in place. And I through through my work in LGBT Ireland, I've done a lot of work with the Irish Hospice Foundation and the All Ireland Institute of Hospice and Palliative Care mm. around planning ahead, thinking ahead. After this podcast, 
or even now on your phone, if you go to the Irish Hospice Foundation uh, website, you can find a Think Ahead planning pack, which is mm. just a booklet that allows you to fill in all of your wishes. Just to start filling it in and thinking about, well, what what do I want that part, that portion of my life to look like? It won't bring it any, it won't bring it, bring it on any faster. It, it's not going to advance you to there. It may mm. feel uncomfortable to think about it, but by and large, or but the reality is that when you get to that point where you are in crisis, it means you don't having have those to think plans about it, yeah. there that you, you you've already put in place, it means you'll you'll have a much easier time. And I do think it's it, it's a very confronting thing to to think about, and it's a very mm. confronting space to put yourself in. But doing that will have very positive benefits. And I, I, that's what yeah. I took away from from Chris kind of drawing attention to this. Yeah, well, I also think I've this is something that I've had to think about a lot because my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's this year. And um, it, it, it is confronting and it makes you very aware of the fact that none of us know what's coming in our lives. I mean, that's Absolutely. the reality of it. Like you can have a genetic marker, which might, might make you consider it, but you might not have a genetic marker and it might happen as well. So, you know, I know it's cheesy, but like I truly this year have really confronted the fact that you have limited time and, you know, you shouldn't be wasting your time doing things that don't make you happy. And, you know, sometimes confronting the fact that maybe you're not doing things that are exactly right for you is tough, but it's not a bad thing to to think about that stuff. No, completely. I, I think and that's that's the message to take away from this. And I think as well, it was it was really great in the interview with like the, the, just Chris Hemsworth continues to be the best Chris just yeah. <laughs> there is, there is, there is, no, but the way he spoke about it in this way of kind of like you know let's not over dramatize this let's not like make it more than it is let's not kind of like turn it into a poor me narrative like this is yeah. a time you know this this can promote a conversation where we can all start thinking yeah. about kind of are we doing the things in our life that make us happy and bring us the most yeah. joy possible and go on Chris exactly go um, on Chris you good thing okay I'm so glad we have this story to finish on because there is something shocking has happened <laughs> I am shocked <laughs> apparently for next year's Eurovision any like everyone in the world is going to be able to vote I was wondering about this and my assumption is so yeah They've changed the rules. They they are kind of trying to keep the concept fresh and fun. And so for the two semi-final shows, it will be televote only. And I, I, I wasn't 100% sure whether in the televote for the semi-finals, it would also include like rest of the world or whether rest of the world can only vote in the final. I'm not 100% sure on that. Okay, okay. But so the viewers only will decide who advances from the semi-finals into the final. Okay. But then in the final, I, 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 the juries will have their say and everyone will be able to vote online i'm assuming that it will be the kind of traditional ring around bad wi-fi connection people attempting awful sort of you know culturally insensitive jokes or whatnot <laughs> and then it'll get to a last person and we'll have i don't know sort of uh, icon trixie mattel ringing in as the the represented for rest of the world and they will I would do love that i know i would be so down for that <laughs> and they will just give the like what the rest of the world votes are like that's right. how it'll be calculated that's what i'm assuming because i think it would be too much to be like and the votes from Trinidad and Tobago go to like that would go on all night yeah yeah I mean it is interesting because obviously the the complaint about Eurovision for decades now has been the political voting and everybody votes for their neighbours although that doesn't always happen with us Um, but uh, you know so it would kind of change things might democratise things a little bit if there was more of an emphasis on an international vote yeah I I also think that this like the performance of um, Sam uh, the spaceman English spaceman singer 
uh, this year did kind of give me a, a bit of like it sort of heartened me a bit to know like actually if you make a really good song you can do really well in it because yeah. you know let's be honest there is not a sort of a, a black sheep in the European family quite like the British yeah <laughs> <laughs> truly they have placed themselves in a very unique position <laughs> so like if they can produce a song that gets itself all the way up to to, to number two and where are we not in the geopolitical situation that we're in most yeah. likely would have won the entire competition yeah like that is that is very impressive i did by the way have a quick look back at last year's semi-final two televoting and sadly even if it had just been televoting we wouldn't have qualified no. brooke brooke scullion's criminally underrated that's rich would not have made it to the final which is just shocking <sighs> that's the other thing it's like what can we do honestly when is our time gonna come when again is our time? i do not know who, who do would not know. which which current irish artist would you like to see if you could pick anyone oh my god you oh don't put me on the spot like this i don't know I, i'll tell you who well it depends on it depends yeah like if you want to do well like Dermot Kennedy, people are just like addicted to him. Did you see him he performed know. on Grafton Street this week? It was insane. Grafton Street was full. I was I didn't include it in the stories for for this section because there's not a lot to say except that people bloody love Dermot Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. So like maybe someone like him because he has international appeal and it, yeah. and, fa- and people love him. No, yeah, someone like him would be like it used to be that kind of thing of like oh we could <laughs> send you two or one of those people, but it's like actually Dermot Kennedy has a real connection with people. Yeah, I personally would love to see what CMAT would do with the um oh my God. with the, with that platform. I mean, me too. Like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, what could be more entertaining than watching CMAC go through the entire Eurovision journey? That would be, yeah, top tier entertainment. It would be very iconic, yeah. <laughs> and she'd do it, and she'd do it well. She would, she would. Are you yeah. listening? Are you listening, Orti? I don't, I don't think Orti, I don't think Orti are listening to this podcast, babe. On the subject of black sheep. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> James O'Hagan, thank you so much. Thank you very much. just about time for me to go my friends but i do want i mean look i'm failing again with the recommendations <laughs> all i'm consuming at the moment is i'm a celeb and the white lotus and tiktok like that's that's all i'm getting to and um, i'm a celeb is just such an undertaking and i i just dream desperately dream of the days when i had like hours at the weekend and stuff to watch tv and read and you know do all that kind of stuff it's just not happening for me at the moment however i will say if you are not watching the white lotus like what are you doing with your life i know that i i recorded some ads for the show as part of this podcast but like i genuinely 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 love it well there's nothing really that i tell you that i love that i don't love even in an ad um but every week it's a total highlight it's so good um it's on sky atlantic um so now tv and sky and all that kind of crack um but other than that yeah i'm afraid i don't have much um but i would just a reminder i would love to hear from you via voice note phone number is 089-209-6423 just send me a whatsapp voice note and um you might hear yourself in a future episode also i would be so grateful if you would rate review uh, subscribe tell a friend i know lots of you have been sharing the podcast on your social media and that is so richly appreciated it really means a lot to me in the meantime i hope you have a great week we are heading toward december at a very fast pace and things are about to get even more hectic than they already are so if you're feeling it's a little bit too much you have got my empathy and my solidarity we'll just put one foot in front of the other and i will talk to you next friday thank you again by the way to my wonderful contributors and to acast for having me have the best week you possibly can
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.